So I'd like you to turn with me to uh, Colossians chapter chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. If you don't know where it is, look it up in the index at the front. Don't be embarrassed. <laughs> and uh, and Colossians is a, a letter from Paul uh, to the, the Colossians, uh, people of Colossae, though he never went there himself. Uh, uh, One of the other men who preached and uh, uh, planted the church. And so Paul writes to that that church. And I want us to read uh, from, I'll just get my verses right here, uh, from verses uh, 2 verse 11 down to 15. And then jump to chapter 3 and then read 1 to 11. Um, So let's hear God's word. Paul says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities And put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one... Oh, sorry, I shouldn't read on from there. Go to 3 verse (laughs) 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness which is idolatry. On account of these things the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word again, uh, help us to meditate on it. Help us to care deeply what it says. Help us to learn. And help us to, to put into practice. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we looked at the, the eyewitness uh, account, one eyewitness account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And 
And that account tells us that Jesus really did get up from the grave. Uh, He did. uh, The tomb was empty. And then he appeared uh, after having been brutalized uh, on the cross. And he was buried as a dead man. They knew what they were doing, those Romans. They knew that Jesus had died. Uh, They poked him and prodded him and, and made sure that he was dead. And then they put him, and then he was taken away and put in the grave. However, with the resurrection... Uh, We cannot deny that in the early days of the church, uh, the resurrection of Christ was of vital significance to the church, that it was central to the message of salvation, that Paul, as it were, uh, as we know, uh, preached Christ and him crucified, uh, and Christ died for sins, but he also preached, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Uh, so that's what we just sang a moment ago. That the death of Christ is central to dealing with our sin, but the resurrection of Christ is central to giving us life and uh, so that we know that we have been made right with God. So the real, literal, bodily resurrection of Jesus was necessary for that whole scheme of salvation so that he could free us from the ravages of sin. And sin ravages, doesn't it? It ravages you and me, ravages people around us, um, and we need to be free of it. So this evening, I want to just address with you uh, why why the resurrection is so important for the Christian life. The resurrection is, is what's the resurrection important for? There are many dimensions to to answer that question with. One of them is, what does the resurrection mean for the Christian life? What does it mean for you and me today? Um, how does it impact us today? And that's what I want to, uh, to get to this evening. And I want to do it by looking at this passage. Um, it's not a, an exposition of everything in this passage. There's, there's an awful lot in that passage that we read that we need to, need to pour over carefully at some point, And we have done that in the past. Um, but this evening, there are four things I want to just uh, talk to you about this evening. One is that, the, first of all, the Christian has a new identity the Christian has a new identity. Everything's about identity politics today. Well, Christians are, are, are like talking about identity in Christ. <laughs> we have a new identity. We'll say a bit more about that. Secondly, the Christian has undergone a death and a resurrection. The true Christian has undergone a death and a resurrection. You have not been left unchanged by what's happened to you. Thirdly, The Christian has a new mind. The Christian begins to think differently. And that begins to flow out of everything. Uh, So it comes, what you think goes into your heart and comes out your fingertips and changes everything about you. So it begins in here uh, by God's grace. And then thirdly, the Christian then lives a new life. So that's the the follow-on from the fact that your mind has changed and uh, you've undergone this new death and resurrection and you have a new identity. You begin to live differently. So here's the first thing, a new identity. A Christian has a new identity. And, you know, I get to talk to people in various circumstances about the Christian faith. Some of them are believers. Uh, Many of them are believers. Some of them are non-believers. One of the most distressing things I find about people who are in that latter group of non-believers is that when I I ask, what does it mean to be a Christian? Um, 
the answer almost always comes back is, is this, that it's um, how we must love our neighbor, how we must uh, forgive people, and, uh, or generally live a good life for other, so that other people benefit from it. And, uh, you know, I've had people say to me, yeah, that's what life's all about, just being, good, being nice to people. Uh, that's what being a Christian is for me. And uh, in many ways, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the, the problem is it's not the gospel. It's not, uh, it's not actually what the Christian faith is all about. It may be a fruit of it, but it's not actually fundamentally what it is. And, and so people like that, they, they sort of define Christianity in terms of the, the imperatives. What, what do we need to do? To be a Christian, what do we need to? How do we need to act to be a Christian? Uh, love, forgive, do the right thing, all that kind of stuff. And it's a very modern idea. I, you know, in the early days of Google, some of you are too too young to know the early days of Google now. But you know, when there was a small upstart company, uh, one of the mottos of Google was, uh, "Don't be evil." Eventually, they dropped that. I wonder why. <laughs> Don't be evil. And they, they actually had good intentions. They wanted the internet to be good for people and to be a blessing to, you know, to, to help people. It could be a, a great thing. But it sums up, I think, what, what most people think Christianity is. Don't be evil. Don't, don't do bad things. And you know, at least that's what they think life ought to be like. Although in practice it isn't. But of course, all of this misses the heart of the Christian life. And we, I think we see this in, in clearly in the way that Paul writes to the churches, because Paul doesn't simply give commands to, to people. Um, he doesn't just give instructions that fit into a moral code, and he just, just try better, just do this, do that. He actually starts somewhere else. He describes what they are, and what they've become, first of all. Before they start, he starts talking about what they should do. What are they and what have they become now that they're Christians? And Paul's, one of Paul's favorite ways of expressing that is, is through prepositions. So I don't want to get too technical in the language, but you know, uh, prepositions are, are those little words that describe one thing in relationship to another. So something's in something else or something's above above something else, or below something else, or with something. Um, These are prepositions, in, with, above, below, and so on. And Paul speaks that way about Christians in relationship to Christ. So he describes Christians as being in Christ. You look back to chapter 1, verse 2, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. You Christians, you are in Christ. You've been put into Christ. Or he describes being with Christ. So, together with Christ. Uh, So, chapter 2, verse 12. Um, You have been buried with him in baptism. Um, uh, Chapter 2, verse 20, which we didn't read, but... He says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, uh, and so on, with Christ, 
Uh, or chapter 3, verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ. So together you've been raised up. He's giving this idea that Christ, as Christ was raised up, so Christians have been raised up together with him. And uh, so you can multiply examples, um, and not just in this letter, but in uh, many of his letters. And this, uh, this use of prepositions, it, it carries this idea of location. You know, that you brought into a kind of close relationship to Jesus Christ. Uh, a bond with Jesus Christ. Um, and it's, a, it's actually a covenantal bond. It's almost like a marriage. You're now in a marriage. You're bonded together. And it's binding. And so we talk sometimes about how Christian is somebody who is united to Christ, is in union with Christ. That follows out of the use of prepositions. Um, And so, for example, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You become something new when you're bonded to Jesus Christ, when you're in Christ that way. And so you get this New identity as a Christian. There's something therefore profoundly different about a Christian compared to what they were before they were a Christian and compared to anyone else they work with who's not a Christian. They are a new creature. It doesn't mean they're better, it doesn't mean they're morally better and all that kind of stuff. It just means they're different. Because they are in Christ. You are in Christ if you're a Christian. And so becoming a Christian then is not simply a matter of getting your name on a membership list and and just coming to a Christian meeting like this. Nor is it a matter of adopting a a set of moral standards. But it's about becoming a new creature in Christ. That you are in Christ and you are with Christ. Um, and this is what makes the gospel message so distinctive from any other religion. This transformation that happens. Uh, well, how does it happen to you? How does this be, being put into Christ uh, or being with Christ, um, how does that happen to you? And it's here we begin to see the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, Because that brings us to the second point, that the Christian has also undergone a resurrection, a death and a resurrection. And you'll notice, I want you to notice what he says in chapter 2, verse 13. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive uh, together with him, with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And notice that in that verse you have this transition that happens to the Christian. You are dead, but God has made you alive. Once you were dead, but now you're alive in Christ. Now what does he mean by being dead or alive? And clearly Paul is talking about what his readers were like before they were Christians compared to when they were after. So, so they still lived in a sense, but in a, a deep and profound sense, they were dead. They were kind of dead men 
men and women walking, living but dead. Clearly not physically dead. So, you know, they breathed and stuff (laughs) and ate food. But they were dead in their trespasses and sins. So there's a preposition again. Rather than being in Christ, they were in their trespasses and their sins. They were in them. They were kind of bonded to their trespasses and sins. Tied to their sins. Unable to get free of their sins. And it sticks like glue to you. These sins. So they're united, you see, to an old way of life that they cannot get free of, marked by sin and trespass. And therefore they were separated from the life that uh, comes in relationship to Jesus Christ. So this holds out to us the idea that a person can be simultaneously alive and dead if they're not a Christian. Alive to the things of this world, driven by the passions and desires of this world, following your heart. That's our mantra of today's society, isn't it? Just follow your heart. Do what you want to do. Pursue your pleasures. But that's being in your trespasses and sins. Bonded to them. And at the same time, you're dead to God. Dead to God. Not caring a jot about God. Lost. Hopeless. But if we now look at somebody who has become a Christian. He or she has uh, God, verse 13. God has made alive together with him. God has made that person alive. And so also, in chapter 2, verse 20. If Christ... If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, um, you die to this old life, um, so the Christian no longer needs to, to be under the power of the godless impulses of the world. Those godless impulses come from the world, the flesh, the devil, Um, And constantly tempt us to fall into sin all the time. Uh, But now as a Christian, that you're united to Christ, made alive by God. You're no longer under the power of that temptation. Instead, you're alive to God. And so before, you were dead to God and alive to sin. But now as a Christian, you're alive to God and dead to sin. So what's happened? Well, what's happened is that when a person becomes a Christian, there is death and resurrection. You die to the world and the old life. In other words, the world and the old life have no hold on you any longer. And you are made alive to God uh, and have a new life. And there's a new principle at work in you. It's a principle that comes from, from heaven, from on high. You become a new person in that prince, uh, under the power of that principle. And all of this can only happen because Jesus Christ has died and risen again from the dead first. So he had to die and then rise again from the dead. Jesus becomes sin for us. He bears the sin of his people. Such that he bears the punishment and the wrath of God for the sins that our our sins deserve. 
But then in power and majesty, he rises from the dead in victory. Gloriously defeating death. And that victory over death is now given to his people. And how does it come? Well, it comes in the most practical way. Because you and I have faith in God. That is the evidence that God has given you new life. That is the evidence that God has put you to death and raised you again to life. That you now have faith in God. That you trust in God in a way that you never did before. A genuine thirsting and hungering after righteousness. Because that's what faith is like. It's a hungering and a thirsting after righteousness. Look at Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes. And you become alive to Jesus Christ. You become a new person. The old person disappears. And so this evening, I I need to pause at this point and just ask you to examine yourselves. Uh, Paul calls us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. And I ask you, are you in the faith? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? See, that's the sign that you've been raised to life. That you have eternal life. Have you been resurrected to a new and living way? Do you have this new set of desires? I mean, do a bit of diagnostics of your own heart. Do, have you have the, do you have this new set of desires for th- the things of God that take precedence over all your other desires? Above all other things, I want to know God. I want to be close to Him. I need to understand Him. I need to love Him all the more. Do you have that hungering and thirsting that Jesus mentions in Matthew chapter 5? So you can see, it's, it's not really about what you do as such. It's not about, being a Christian is not about what you do, attending church, being a nice and kind person. It's not all about that. That may come as a result, but it's not actually fundamentally the issue. What it is about is about whether in your heart of hearts, who you're trusting in, where your faith truly is, who you are united to, to. And that's what faith does. It unites you to Jesus Christ. It bonds you to him. So Christ, so the Christian has undergone a death and a resurrection. So thirdly, the Christian has a new mind. As a result of all of this, the Christian has a new mind. And it's at this point that Paul, having reminded them of their new identity and where their life comes from, that he is then able to move to the imperatives, to the commands. And notice where it begins. He says in chapter 3, verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. See, it begins, Christianity begins with the mind. It starts there about how we think as people who have received this resurrection life. We need to begin to think differently. We need to think about ourselves, our lives, and what we're here for. Now some of you might be thinking, well, if, if, I'm, um, you know, if I have this new life, doesn't it just come automatically? Don't I just suddenly start thinking in a new way? And uh, as though I'm not involved and suddenly just this transformation happens. Well, actually, no, it's not quite like that. 
the old habits still there are still there in your life, aren't they? Uh, you still have old habits. It's like a person who's uh, many of people in our church have emigrated to this country, and this morning especially. We've got, we're such an international church, and people emigrate uh, or immig- immigrate <laughs> to the United Kingdom for whatever reason. But you know, it's one thing to come out of your home country; it's, it's another thing to take the home country out of you when you're here. <laughs> and I'm not saying people should do that, but the, all the old habits are still there, aren't they? You still you, you still think like South Africans. You still think like Dutch. <laughs> you still think like Brazilians. And so on. So we could go around. And uh, I still think like a Scotsman. You know, it's hard to, to, to shed all the old habits. And some of those might be bad habits. I'm not making any, I'm not picking on anybody here. But, you know, you might have bad habits that you've picked up from the culture around you from your old, your old life. And you have to learn new habits. You have to learn new ways of doing things when you're here. Uh, new ways of thinking, perhaps. And, uh, but I'm just pointing out that the, the, the ways of the old life are still there for a long time. And it's, it's actually true in the Christian life as well. You become a Christian, you have this new principle in life, you become a, a, a new creature in Christ, you become a new person in Christ, and yet some of the old habits are all still there. You know, you're still... Uh, still in the routines of, of the sinful life. And it's not a country you want to go back to, but for some reason you keep dabbling in it. That's why you sin still. You still keep dabbling in that old life. And, and they die hard. Those old habits die hard. And Paul is facing the same problem with these Christians. Become Christians. They really are new Christians. But they have all the bad habits of the old life. And, but what the problem is, is they've, forgot, they've forgotten to think rightly about what they are. They think they're still part of the world. They're still going around doing things as they always did before. But they have to remember that they are new creatures in Christ. So they have to set their minds on things above. There's a, a process of... Your mind being transformed by God's grace to become more and more heavenly minded. And, uh, and so there's this temptation we all face. We all face to think like a non-Christian, even though we're Christian. We're conditioned to think that the old regime is in charge, that the habits of the old life, when they kick in, there's nothing we can do about it. A leper can't change its spot, says Jeremiah. Um, and some people say, my dad used to say that. <laughs> oh, a leper can't change his spots with his bad habits. <laughs> and we can say that, you know, but it's not true for a Christian because you're a new person in Christ. And so you need to start thinking differently. We're free of all these things. And Paul says elsewhere, he says in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, he says, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And you need to start considering, carefully thinking through that you are dead to sin and alive to Christ. And it's not just a case of making up something that you, you want to be true about yourself. Uh, you know, like those people in talent shows that really think they've got a real talent and they're, not that I watch those, but, you know, see, see video clips on YouTube and stuff. 
people think they've got a great talent and they're terrible. <laughs> and they have, to have, they have to say, you've got no talent, clear off, <laughs> get off the stage. Um, but we're not, that's not what we're doing as Christians. We're not saying we're trying to pretend that we're better or we're, we, can, we can think differently. We're actually remembering what we are in Christ. That we're dead to, dead to the world, that we're alive to God, and we need to begin to think this way. So Paul says, set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. Not on things that drive you as if you were a pagan unbeliever in this world, but on the things that drive you as you truly are, a Christian. Now what is that? What is, what is there above to set your heart on? Well, the big answer is that Jesus Christ is there. In verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. So Christ is there. That's the main thing. Christ is there. You set your mind on him. You set your heart on Jesus Christ who is raised from the dead. And that's where, where he is. He's in heaven. Set your mind on that, that. And you can't have a better starting point to begin to live the Christian life. Start thinking a lot about Jesus. Paying attention to what he says, reading the Bible, studying it carefully, taking time on your own to read the Bible, come to church, meditate, wrestle with what the preacher is saying to you. You may not agree with everything he says, but you're wrestling with what the text says, what the Bible says. So you can set your mind on Christ, set your mind on things above. Friends, uh, most of us will know what it's like to fall in love. You know, when you meet somebody you fall in love with. And uh, that has a habit of affecting your priorities. Especially young people, start, uh, young men, they start having showers and preparing their hair a bit better. You know, things like that. <laughs> I don't know about women, but uh, you know, when you fall in love, you start, it does weird things to you, doesn't it? <laughs> When you love Jesus Christ, it does weird things to you, as far as the world is concerned. He changes you. He resets your priorities. Sometimes many things that you loved before seem less important to you now. Maybe some friends that were really important to you have to become less important to you so that you can focus on the things above See, love, true love, has that power to expel unworthy loves. So if you love Jesus, certain things just get pushed out of your life. This is what the the work of resurrecting grace does in the life of a Christian. It opens up our minds and our hearts to Jesus Christ. There is a temptation to set your mind and your heart on other things. Uh, but Paul says, say no to that. Set your mind on things above. Think differently. Think new in new ways. So Paul says, set your mind on things above. And then finally, all this feeds into practical action. And we don't have time to go through all of this. Uh, the rest of the section, because there's a great deal that he says from verse 5 onwards. But um, you'll notice that he, um, only at this point does Paul come in with the moral imperatives. Having settled all the, where your mind is, settled what your identity is, um, 
He then comes in and he says, this is what you need to do. And once that foundation has been laid of Christ and his death and resurrection and recognizing what you are now in Christ, he then says, go and do this and don't do these things. Then you begin to lead a new life where the idols are put away, where the selfishness is put away, where pride is broken, where the tongue is tamed. And you put on the wonderful qualities that you find in verse 12 onwards. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive, and so on. This is what the Christian life now looks like. And people, the people of God know peace in their hearts. Even when all is chaotic and distressing all around, you are in Christ. And safe and secure. And you have the word of God to teach you and to remind you and to train you and prepare you. And you can be thankful for all God's blessings that you receive day by day. So why does the death and the resurrection of Jesus matter? Yes, it makes possible the forgiveness of sins. But it also makes possible the process of transformation to a new kind of life. Which amazingly is described... In verse 10, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. This is what God is doing. There's an image. There's a model. God, God the creator is the model. And we are made in his image. That image was marred and fallen and broken in all our sin. But God, in his grace through Christ is restoring that image in us, making us more and more like Jesus, day by day. That's why the the resurrection matters. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful transformation that happens to Christians. We come to you, Lord, recognizing that there are times when we forget what we are. We forget that we are your people. We forget what we have become by grace and we hanker after the things of this world Father we pray you'd enable us and empower us to set our minds on things above where Christ is we ask in Jesus name Amen